0: Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, I am joined by Tom Rudd, who is a disabled queer punk poet who just released their new book, I Am a Thing of Rough Edges, which is a poetry collection ranging from mental health to grief, identity to LGBTQ activism, and the importance of cuddles. Tom, welcome. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me today. So your book ranges from a lot of different topics. I actually gave it a read i'm gonna tell you what my favorite one is later um but it does a bunch of different topics but mental health seems to be the main focus and that's i think where we clicked and we're very open with our chat before um as open as you are let's start with your mental health journey like when is like the earliest that you you realize that that mental health was a thing and you're like oh shit this affects me and um how was how that because it's always fun isn't it <laughs> oh it's wonderful
1: it's, oh, it's such a fun thing yeah um no I've been dealing with mental health stuff for as long as I can really remember uh my granddad died when I was 13 and that's what I think kicked it all off and at first I didn't even realize what mental health was or that anything was like seriously wrong with me I just thought I was really sad for a long time and because I was an insecure little kid almost a more or less teenager at that point I didn't know what to do so I didn't talk to anybody and I did the worst thing you could possibly imagine and I bottled it all up and I kept it and I repressed it for years and years and it got worse and it got worse and then at the point where I finally I guess admitted to myself that I was mentally ill was when I dropped out of university uh, the first time I've since dropped out a second time Mm. so yeah that's going great um but yeah, uh, it all came to a head when I was at university the first time. And so I was dealing with that. And then uh, I ended up taking a break and then dropping out completely. And that's when I started thinking, hey, I should talk to somebody about this. I should maybe look for some help. But with the state of the country in the last decade, getting actual mental health support is near impossible like the nhs is for, for, for everyone that sings the praises of free healthcare, it's so understaffed it's so overworked, and the current government are doing everything in their power to get rid of it so it's it's just such a struggle
0: it's a long struggle and i feel like with the uk in america it's like different different like aspects in their own realm but we have similarities i always thought that Because I always see people in the UK always talk about their mental health. They're very open. I'm like, oh, it must be a lot easier out there. And everyone's like, no, it's awful. And yeah, you just reassured that right now. How, when did you start feeling that you were finally getting help? Like, how did you, how did you get to that point? Did you find a therapist? Did you, did you talk to certain people? What, what was that like?
1: That's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I really have found the help that I need. Since, I, like I said, I dropped out of university a second time, which yeah. was fun. And <laughs> I'm planning to go back again and see if it works this time. But... What are
0: you going to school for?
1: <clears throat> uh, first, I went for politics, which was really, really boring. And then, uh, create- <laughs> and then, and then creative writing, because I started the whole poetry thing. And yep. then you know, let's, I thought, let's work on that and let's do creative writing, because surely that'll be easier, because I'm
0: more interested in it. And no, no. <laughs> Now, are you diagnosed with anything? Uh, borderline personality disorder.
1: Yeah. It's it's not 100% official diagnosis. Like, I don't have a, like, I don't have a certificate or anything. But <laughs> Imagine um, they gave
0: out certificates, like, hey,
1: here you go, hang it up on your fridge. <laughs> uh, the the only reason I don't is because it's so difficult to get yeah. that level of attention unless you're really, really severe. And when it comes to that there's a chance I could just be sectioned completely uh so I've kind of skirted the line I've talked to several therapists and uh mental health professionals who all agree that I have borderline personality disorder but it's a it's an absolute journey to get it properly diagnosed Uh, I'm diagnosed with depression and anxiety at the moment and then you know technically I'm self iding as BPD but it's been, medic- it's, it's been professionally verified, just not through the official channels, I guess.
0: I hate that section where you're into that mental state and you're like, okay, I'm trying to get help, or I can just go to the emergency room and be labeled and thrown into a place where it, it gets zero to 60 real quick and you can't handle it because you have to go in those little steps to get there. Yeah, um,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're too severe, there's a chance they'll put you in an institution. And just you know, essentially lock you up, which is yeah. awful. So it, it it's a very fine line to tread.
0: That's how I was, uh, like kind of self not self diagnosed, but I always knew I had ADHD. I was just never properly prescribed until like two years ago. So I could have used it at college or as in university, as you guys call it, which I absolutely love how you guys call it university. Um, I think that's awesome. It's like, even when you guys go on vacation, you goes like, oh, I'm just going on holiday. I'm like, oh, that's just sounds adorable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
0: now with BPD, I I have a tough time understanding it from my standpoint. I, it's like, I like learning about different aspects of mental health, obviously in a weird way, because this is what I'm trying to do is learn and kind of share that with other people's stories, especially just everyday people like you and I. What would, how would you explain BPD to somebody that didn't know?
1: The easiest way I can describe it is that I have no kind of, I have no control of my emotions whatsoever. They're a lot more intense than everyone else. Like, for example, if you lose a game of like Call of Duty, for example, like a video game, you might feel, oh, that was a shame, but you don't really get too worked up over it. I can spiral from that and any nudge is enough to send you spiraling or enough to get you really angry or all sorts of stuff like that it's very intense and they're very quick like really quick mood changes you can go from angry to happy to sad in the span of 15 minutes wow Uh, as well as that there's I, i don't have this is a tricky one i don't really have a firm sense of who I am, if that makes sense. Like I don't have a defined identity. It changes a lot based on the people I'm around, the kind of content that I uh, absorb through like TV and games and music and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, also relationships with other people are very difficult to maintain. Uh, There's a thing called splitting, uh, where your perception of a person changes like really quickly so if I'm friends with somebody and they do something I perceive that, that something that I perceive is wrong, then suddenly they're the worst person in the world and I want nothing to do with them. That kind of thing. So maintaining relationships is real tricky. I, I I've not had a relationship, like a romantic relationship that's gone past eleven months. Really? That's yeah, that's the longest I've ever done that because it's just so hard to maintain and the whole flip-flopping emotional thing, it just kind of ruins it really.
0: Who is it mostly on your end that ends it or is it the other person having trouble dealing with it? Like how, uh, would, how does that both. go? Yeah. A bit above.
1: Yeah. It's it yeah, it's it, it it's my emotions and lack of control and then the other person not wanting to deal with that, which I understand. Like yeah. I get it.
0: Now uh, is there any is there anything that can like help you? Like, do you see that coming on? Do you try to like have like inner monologues like, oh, this is just my mental health getting the best of me? Or are you in that realm where you're like, nope, like this is what's happening. This is how I feel. This is the truth. I am very self-aware. So sometimes
1: is it's kind of easier for me to like navigate around certain things, but mm-hmm. it can happen so quickly. And like I said, there's really no control. So it, it it's difficult to... Like deal with on a day-to-day basis and then there's other stuff that comes in from being um, this level of mentally ill stuff like the constant fatigue that I get so like I'm medically unfit for work so I don't actually have a job and haven't for about two years because of you know the the effects that it has on me Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just I've lost my train of thought forgetfulness is another thing. Like I forget all sorts of stuff and I have a really big problem with executive dysfunction. I don't know if you know what that is.
0: No. What is that?
1: Uh, It's when there's a disconnect between what you think and what you do. So for example, you have a lot of dirty dishes. You think, Oh, I have to go clean them. And then you go and do it. I think it, I stay where I am. There's a disconnect between thinking about doing something and then getting your body to actually do it.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah.
1: And that's what executive dysfunction is. It's literally something not working from the executive functions in your head. And yeah, I I deal with that a lot as well. For example, like self-care is really hard most days. It's
0: (laughs) It's a constant fight. Yeah, with mental health, that is always like a, a tough fight to do. Now, you're in such that gray area because you you pretty much know what you have, what you're dealing with, but you're trying to seek the help. Do you know what type of things you can do to help that, to curb that? Like what what are some, like is it, you have to do CBT? Uh, there's a DBT actually, which is a dialectical behavioral
1: therapy, which was invented by someone with a personality disorder to treat personality disorders. It's a 12-month intensive course, and at least in the area that I am, the waiting list to get into DBT is closed. I can't even get on the waiting list. Jeez. So, yeah, that, it's, it's very inaccessible. Like I said, the NHS is really struggling. Mental health services especially are just screwed. So, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't get on the waiting list to wait for that therapy it's just so many people need it and there's not enough people to teach it and it's such a long intensive course it's an entire year of classes to teach you how to cope yeah there are books you can get to deal with it but that's nowhere near as useful like you can get books on dbt to read about it and try and like self-teach coping mechanisms but it's a plaster it's a band-aid i think you would say it's yeah nowhere near any kind of cure or you know long lasting thing
0: yeah you need the professionalism of uh the mental health care which i tell everybody it's like yeah you can listen to this podcast and take notes from other people but you at the end of the day you have to find professional care which is uh not the easiest thing to find it's like finding waldo and when you find waldo he's like just kidding uh you gotta find me in six more months
1: um, exactly
0: yeah. so yeah I definitely understand that I've been there my my road was pretty long to get in for help um so I would assume that the poetry is what keeps you at bay um it's definitely like improved my quality of life
1: yeah absolutely that's um, great I, I actually started writing when I was homeless um all the executive dysfunction and stuff meant that I uh lost my flat when I dropped out of university because right Finding new accommodation was really difficult because I was going through the whole, you know... I, I had a full-on mental breakdown, honestly. And then, yeah, it spiraled and I ended up homeless for a while. And that's when I started writing. Which, uh, coincidentally, which was... Yeah, definitely... It started as a distraction and then it became what I do, really.
0: Yeah. How long were you homeless for?
1: Um, about a year. I was... uh in a youth hostel i just qualified to get into the local youth hostel uh which is how i've got uh, the place i am now uh, There was, there's like a resettlement scheme yeah live in the hospital for six months take some classes um move on to like a halfway house and then you get a right. uh, council owned flat at the end of it and that's where
0: i am now well, that's good I'm glad that you got to that point. That must've been a tough year to uh, just be homeless. and Well, at least, you again, you, at least you had the poetry. It's like, you definitely have like that bittersweet moment. It's like where you are. It's always about where you are now, but how you get there is always always a journey and you reflect like back on that. So very happy for you with that. So how did you get into poetry? You're just like, yeah, hey, I'm homeless. So I'm just going to write some poetry now. Like, what, what was that like? So how it started was, uh, I met the
1: people that run the local up, or ran the local open mic at a protest. We were demonstrating against the visit of Donald Trump because he was—it was one of his visits to the UK—and right. we staged a demonstration against that. And I met these people, uh, Izzy and Henry. I hope they don't mind me mentioning them by name. <laughs> Is that Izzy they, and Henry? <laughs> uh, Izzy and Henry. Yeah, they invited me along to this open mic and I'd never really been before. I, I I knew what poetry was, obviously. And I'd got a bit of spoken word from Button Poetry on YouTube, for example. Um, so I went, I went along and uh, I actually ended up writing something for that open mic on the day before. Uh, just some really angry political piece because it, it, w- it was an open mic around the protest and around like resistance and stuff. So I wrote something for that. And I dragged my friend Mal along. And yeah, we started going every month. Uh, I, I ended up writing and performing every month. And within six months, I had started my own night. <laughs> because that's how that works, apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're going up so much, they're like, I would just give you the keys to the place. You can run it now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was co-hosting that open mic that I started at, and I'd also started my own poetry night, which was a mental health themed. Poetry night, and that's how I got into all of that. Um, someone at the local library had asked me to put on a show and I was like, oh yeah, let's do this, this sounds like fun. First time I'd ever got asked to do poetry. Um, so I did that and then it turned into like a regular thing and since the pandemic I've been running it on online and it's been a massive success and it's just, it's been really good.
0: Congrats! That's that's really good. Now, why did you want to go with the mental health route with the poetry? Like, like you said, the first one you had was about on politics, pretty much, um, but what was going on. So, how did you transcend to the mental health route? Um, well, the the reason I got into poetry
1: was mental health related because I was going through so much, and yeah. I started using it as a catalyst. Uh, I was writing a lot of mental health poetry and polit- and political poetry. I, I I did both at the same time. My my Facebook page is anxious anarchist poetry, which melds the two quite nicely together. I yeah. Think. So yeah, I um a lot of the other open mics that I went to after the first one were all mental health themed as well. There's a really good one in Manchester called Switchblade, which is a great name for a poetry night. That's
0: a great night, na- great name for
1: one. Fantastic name, yeah. And uh yeah, I just I started getting really involved. Uh, I've always uh, since. Ad- admitting that i was mentally ill i've been very into like mental health activism and awareness and all of that like i taught myself all sorts when i was trying to work out what was wrong with me um yeah i i, I have a habit of doing that i also did that when i realized i was queer i did loads of research and ended up learning all sorts and then i got into queer activism and <laughs> um, yeah i guess that's just how my
0: brain works i learn about it all and then i get into it it, just even talking to you now, seeing you light up talking about poetry just shows how much you love it. And it's funny how you talked about your life growing up and then you, you just turn the switch on and it just shows that you love it. And What I was going to ask, because I feel like I, I'm in that boat a little bit sometimes, like I love doing this podcast, but some days I'm like, I don't want to do it. Or like, is I feel like sometimes I have imposter syndrome. Like, do you ever get that with your poetry? Or are you like, like, does it feel like, not like a job, but you're like, I just don't want to do this tonight. Like, do you ever feel like that? Something you love?
1: Uh, I, I never think that I don't want to do it, but I always have imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> like the journey of making this book was really strenuous because I was trying to fight the urge of, oh, do I even deserve to have this? Like, yeah. am I the best choice? to be published all this stuff. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's another battle. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly worried that I'm not, you know, who I say I am. I'm, I'm going to out myself as a
0: fraud one day. and all Yeah. Of that That's how I feel yeah. sometimes. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm, it's like I'm talking to a crowd of me. Like it just meant <laughs> no one else is there. I'm just yelling, yeah. <laughs> "Do you guys believe me? It's like, dude, where are you? I'm like, Oh my bad. It's like, I just feel like that all the time. I feel so silly about that.
1: Yeah, I I fully relate to that. Yeah, it's it's not fun.
0: Now I am a thing of rough edges. From the point you have your own open mic, you're doing all this. How does that come to fruition? How do you like? You know what? I'm putting a book together. I'm putting it out there, and you're all gonna buy it.
1: So, um I first off hired an editor to just look at poems. It was just, a, hey, I've got some stuff that I think could use some improvement. Uh, can you lend your expertise? I'll pay you. Well, I didn't pay. I actually, it was actually a birthday present from a friend of mine uh, who actually ended up designing the book, the cover for the book.
0: Yeah, so I like that. It's like the 3D colors. Like. The 3D yeah. colors. I like that a lot.
1: Thank you. And um, Yeah, I uh, hired this editor, and we very quickly struck up a friendship. And he's amazing. And Alex, if you're listening to this, this is all your fault. <laughs> and he, d- he does some work with uh, Whiskey and Beards, which is the publishing house that uh, published me. Yep. And uh, I also met the person that ran that, Connor, at the same time, and we struck up a friendship there as well. Awesome. And after a while of him editing my poems, he was like, oh, Whiskey and Beards are uh, putting some ace funding together to uh, publish some people outside of Kent, because they're a Kent-based Southern uh, publishing house. And then I was talking to the person that runs Whiskey and Beards. He was like, yeah, do you want to write a book for us? I'm like, oh, God, okay. And then we transitioned from looking at individual poems to constructing this manuscript. And it went from just a casual couple of hours a week chatting and looking at poems to, okay, we need to plan this, 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 and this. We need an arcing narrative. We need parts. We need to look at punctuation. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff. And we need to make sure it all fit together. All of it was just suddenly so intense. But then I think we've made something that I'm really proud of. And I oh. think it's pretty awesome, and that kind of helps fight the imposter syndrome sometimes. When I think about when I think about it like that, like we 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 we, put, we worked hard, and I'm allowed to be proud of what we've made.
0: Yes, I agree with that. I. When you do put something into it and in your hard work, when you get frustrated, happy of all these emotions and when it comes out, you're like, you know what? I am proud of myself. And isn't it weird that like, when you say that, it still kind of sounds weird. Like I'm proud of me instead of I'm proud of you. Like I am proud of you <laughs> yeah. for doing it. And it doesn't <laughs> feel weird. I was like, am I proud of my, myself with this podcast? Eh, we'll see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's really weird because yeah, something I've realized is that we don't self affirmate nearly as much as we should. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's all right to just say, hey, I did a thing. It's really cool. I'm proud of this. You know, you, you're allowed to tell yourself that you've done a good thing. And I don't think we do that enough, just in general, but especially mentally ill people. We're, we're really hard on ourselves, like, all the time. And, yeah, it's just nice to say no to that every now and then.
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean,
1: this thing. A lot of it's really sad and I'm going to make people cry, but it mm-hmm. was a good thing
0: yeah that's great then i see people on instagram that love themselves 20 times more than myself i'm like hey i would love to be at that point <laughs> oh yeah absolutely that's the
1: goal isn't it? yeah get it. posting 20 selfies a day like look at me yes yeah i'd love that kind of confidence so be great right. yeah where is that
0: now with the uh with the book did you have a structure of what poems you wanted to put in certain orders did you just throw it in there because i always find that interesting like with music albums like you're a big music person too it's like i feel like they have to go through and put them in a certain order did you have that thought when you were doing it yes we definitely had an overarching narrative in mind uh what i
1: did was um there are parts for each topic so part one is um love poems so I've got all the breakup poems in there mm-hmm. because I've got more breakup poems than love poems. That's also where the um, the importance of cuddles comes in because cuddle drive uh, is in there as well. And then part two is grief. Um, I went through a lot of, uh, well, let's just, like like I said, a lot of uh, intense emotions. Yeah, I feel grief a lot more than someone without BPD might. And I ended up writing five poems about it. So that, that yeah, that's how that section came in. And then there was um, the mental health section, and then the uh, politics and queerness section at the end. So it, it a, a lot of my poems fit into one of the categories. So we thought it easiest to just slot them into each bit. So all the mental health poems are over here. All of the love stuffs over here. And then I bookended the book with two poems that start the same but then go in very different directions Uh, and they're both autobiographical poems and I started with one and I ended with one and yeah that was that was um, oh and I threw in a really stupid poem in the middle somewhere as well just for a bit of levity
0: (laughs) and then that was the book that's awesome that's that is a great accomplishment. I feel like like I could never put a book together so I can see a, lo- a lot of the uh, the the strength and power you put into that I, I'm very I'm very proud of you. I would oh. say speaking of imposter syndrome the one I liked and it was like a little bit play on the Disney was uh, shards of glass oh thank you i uh, like that one a lot i felt like i re- like looking in the mirror and not seeing the person that y- you should see so i feel like i really enjoyed that one the most so uh because i was like you know what i like disney and because you do the mirror mirror on the wall yeah switch it up yeah so i like that one a lot what movie is that I, can't, I was trying to i was trying to think what is that from what mirror mirror on the wall is that snow white who is that it might be snow white yeah i think it's snow white i think so i need to i need to so. get up on my disney bull uh, yeah, we'll check yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no, I like that one a lot. It's a very nice book. You um everyone should pick it up. Um, where books are sold, right? Where is it? Where is it on? Is that, uh, uh, it's at
1: the Whiskey and Beards
0: web store at the moment. Okay. So uh
1: yeah, you go to whiskeyandbeards.co.uk, I believe. I'll yeah. just quickly check for you.
0: Yeah, I can put that up um on the website here of uh, yeah, Sender, uh, so you'll see it.
1: Yeah, it's whiskeyandbeards.co.uk um or you can just search i am a thing of rough edges into google and i'm i think the first thing that pops up
0: perfect way easier for everybody (laughs) now i wanted to back up a little bit because uh again you're you're very open with yourself um and the whole queer aspect i was going to ask you about because i felt like that was a derogatory term for so long and now it seems like you're taking it back which is great and it's not a uh, uh, like a slur to give to somebody. Now, I, me and you talked about this and I, like I'm 35 years old. I'm still learning about everything. I don't want to offend anybody, but I do want to ask questions because I know a lot of people are in my shoes where they're like, well, I don't want to get offended. I want people, I don't want to offend anybody else. So with gay and lesbian and then there's queer, can you explain queer versus gay and lesbian? I can, yeah, definitely.
1: Um, So yeah, queer was a slur for a long time. And uh, the LGBTQ plus community has a habit of reclaiming things, um, like uh, faggot, for example, is also very commonly used in uh, gay circles, at least the one that I'm aware of. And queer is another one of those. Not everyone likes it, and that's fine. If people still think it's a slur, they don't have to use it. But mm-hmm. if you want to, it's, uh, it's like a, an, an umbrella for a lot of uh, LGBTQ identities. Mm-hmm. uh for example if if you were gay you could say you were queer if you wanted to you don't have to but it's it's there it's an option and for me <laughs> i have so many different branching things that it's just so much easier to say queer yeah so yeah queer can mean whatever you want it to mean as long as you're as long as it's not heterosexual or cisgender then you're queer essentially if you
0: want right. It's, yeah, it's definitely, I think it's a way how you use it. I'd be like, oh, this is my friend Tom. He is queer. Instead of, like, saying it to somebody, uh, pointing at them and using it as a derogatory term. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I mean, some
1: people definitely still use it as a slur. I won't, like, I won't pretend it doesn't exist like that anymore. But at least for me, it's lost a lot of its punch since I use it for myself.
0: Yeah. Take that shit back.
1: you use this to hurt me, I'm going to use it to make myself happy.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great way (laughs) of looking at it. Now, then with... With the cisgender it's always with he and she and now you go by they them I how does yes how does that use it in like like how does it how does it present like how, how why is it they them how does right. it go with that oh. real
1: quick i am bundle a real quick history lesson here
0: okay please uh, do it
1: because again i did not even know how to a- ask the question properly like you know what, <laughs> what i mean it, it, absolutely <laughs> cool you, you've nailed it <laughs> uh, but I have to explain a few things first. Yeah, babe, take the oh, time all you need. Sex and gender are separate things. Uh, I'm not. Even, I'm not going to get into sex biological stuff. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Gender, male and female genders, have been used throughout history to denote societal roles and what you do in your family sphere, in your society sphere. A, a, a lot of the stereotypes about women are. Uh, you know cook clean all of that awful stuff and then the men are the strong ones the the laborers the ones that don't show their emotions and these uh can i swear here by the way yeah fuck it cool those roles are bullshit (laughs) those things those stereotypes are absolutely bullshit they are outdated And they mean nothing now, since women are so much more than cooks and cleaners. And, you know, we need to teach men that it's okay to feel emotions and to express them. Mm -hmm. So for me, the best way to do that was to just say no to those roles and go my own way. So I'm non-binary. I don't subscribe to male or female. I don't fit into either of those pegs. And that's fine. I, I, I think the way society's progressed, we've completely surpassed the need for male and female. Man and woman means nothing. Genitals are genitals. Like that doesn't describe who you are. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of turfs that preach uh, emancipation for women, while also you know, make <sighs> while also pigeonholing women into this thing where vagina equals women, which is so incredibly dehumanizing that it's it's just so hypocritical. It's like, oh yeah, I want women to be equal to men, but also women are their genitals and nothing more. It's like it's a paradoxical statement. Your genitals don't decide who you are as a person, you know what I mean? It's just an organ that you have on your body. Right. And, yeah, uh, chromosomes as well. So I, 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 I'm I, guessing you're going to have some comments about chromosomes. <laughs> there are a lot more than XX and XY. Yep. There are so many more. There's XXY, XXXY. There are all sorts of different combinations that have... Just, have Disproven the X and Y only things. Like there are intersex people, there are people that don't have the right chromosomes, the right in inverted right, right. chromosomes. And again, that means nothing. The, the thing I love about science is that when science is presented with evidence that it was wrong, it changes its mind. It is not set in stone forever because sci- science is unlimited by how much of the world we understand. And as our awareness grows, the science has to change. Yeah. And it has done. Like you can,
0: It's just evolution can, too.
1: Things just change over time anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like th- the world, for example, we used to think it was flat. Some and people still people, do. People, Yeah, people are doing <laughs> it. But, but when we proved that the earth was actually a sphere, yeah. the science changed. And the science has changed again, basically. It's not just man and woman. It's both biologically incorrect, uh, physically incorrect, and also emotionally incorrect, because, you know, who you are is determined by a lot more than just your genitals and what role you are given in society when you're born.
0: Now, you came out as gay and then bisexual because like you said earlier you did a lot of research with that meeting friends and stuff so you're currently queer so it's safe to say just love is love for you no matter if if who you meet in life yes so yeah I've
1: had a really fun journey with uh my <laughs> identity I uh I, I just changed the label every time I learned a new one <laughs> so yeah 16 all I really knew was gay and straight so I was gay uh, and then I realized I still liked girls, and then I found out bi, I was bi. And now, after having about eight years of research into my belt, are you ready for this? This is going to be fun. You're going to remember it all. I am a polyamorous, agender, non-binary, panromantic asexual. I'm non-binary, mm-hmm. which I've already explained. Yeah, but I, I learned that one. I'm agender, which means I don't subscribe to either male or female. I am neither. Okay. I knew that. I knew that one. It, I don't have a gender. Um, I'm polyamorous, so I can have several partners at once, and everyone is aware of that and cool with it, and it's all copacetic. Um, Great word. No one uses copacetic anymore. Thank but you. I, no one uses that anymore. <laughs> I learned it in a pop punk song. <laughs> The knuckle puck, for reference. Okay. Uh, So I am panromantic, which is where the lover's love thing comes
0: in. Yep.
1: So um, I'm asexual, which means I don't have a sex drive, uh, which is what Cuddle Drive is about. I have a Cuddle Drive instead. Just human contact. Yeah, I just want to cuddle people and make out, and that's it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm asexual, which means I don't have a sex drive. I don't care about having sex. Yeah. It doesn't particularly interest me i'm not repulsed a lot of a lot of, a, a, a section of asexuals are sex repulsed which means actively puts them off mm-hmm. uh, i'm not like that i'm sex neutral so i just i just don't care and i'm panromantic which means uh, i can be attracted to people regardless of their gender uh, it's as technically technically a subsection of bisexual although not a lot of people see it that way um so yeah anyone regardless of how they uh present and how they uh what gender they are
0: i can fall for them and do on a regular basis you you are legit a walking equality person (laughs) Ah, thank you (laughs) you're just you have the definition of equality and i love that that's why i can tell that you just love everyone should be created equal as i as i believe too uh everyone should be treated the same i just why do you think people are just dickheads you know what i mean like why are people uh so like gay bashing like everything like that like what? Like why do people worry about what other people do in their lives because I don't like obviously I always say like oh I don't care what you do like I care what you do in a sense of like I hope there's good for you when I say I don't care for like like what you do in your life because it doesn't affect me that's all I'm trying to say but like I do care about my friends and family and what they actually do so that's like that's what I, I hate that phrase sometimes but mm. like why do you think that is like why are people so judgmental to other people's journeys and lives People are dickheads. Yeah, <laughs> it's either so that's that's with me. It's like you're either an asshole or not an asshole. It's like those are only two things I have. <laughs> I, I I blame
1: capitalism. <laughs> Surprise! I'm also <laughs> awesome an anarchist. Uh, yeah, I blame I blame people's uh, just continued. Oh, sorry,
0: but, but no worries.
1: Uh, people have indulged their. Negative sides far too much in history, because when you think about it, there's not really any universal law against it. Mm-hmm. Like it's being a human is weird. You've got yeah. to figure. You've you've got to figure out a system where there is no system. Like we've made all of these rules, all of these laws. This entire society functions in a way that we have created sorry i'm going to give everyone an existential crisis because i'm i'm having one all the time it's just so crazy to me how we've built such a sophisticated society out of nothing yeah because there are no universal laws to tell us that we should be doing this we just thought fuck it let's do this and then we built society in this one direction it's just such a crazy thing to think about Sorry, I'm having having an existential crisis right now.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I apologise.
1: Oh, no, no, it's definitely my fault. Um, So, yeah, people have... (sighs) Again, another history lesson, sorry. People (laughs) have created money. It's an immaterial thing that means nothing, but it does mean something because we've attributed it meaning. Yep. It's completely arbitrary, but it has meaning because we think it has meaning. Which is, again, crazy to think about. Yeah. And we've got an entire society around this thing that we invented that means that we can have stuff. We've, we've created a society around, uh, based on either giving or taking away resources from people, based on how much of this thing they have people die because they don't have this thing that we invented and gave arbitrary value to like we could just feed people and that would be fine but because some people need to have more of this thing that we invented and it means more to them than you know saving other people's lives we've gone down this very dark route which is capitalism where we have people at the very top who have loads of stuff because they have all of this money, and then we have people that have nothing and die or live in poverty and have no quality of life. Like You need to really start thinking about what we were put here to do. The answer to that is nothing. We weren't put here to do anything. There's no universal law for anything. Like I said, we attribute meaning to things ourselves, yeah. which is crazy
0: yeah like nothing really matters but it does matter
1: yeah <laughs> and because of all of these things that we've attributed and assigned value to people have evolved to hoard resources hoard capital hoard all of these things and that's obviously going to play on negative emotions and you know poor instincts and i think that's how we got here a lot of really
0: bad decisions yeah it's <laughs> just a history of bad decisions yeah
1: just, uh, yeah the, the, the history of the human race is just built on bad decisions
0: but there's some good Sorry, people I've just,
1: here uh, i've just <laughs> made several people spiral i do apologize
0: <laughs> oh man hey that's great this is, makes great conversation um, See, to answer your question people are <laughs> People are spiteful and
1: jealous and insecure Yeah. because it's such a competitive world that we have completely thrust upon ourselves. It's competitive because we've made it competitive. And we have allowed this petri dish of negativity to blossom into this awful fungi of jealousy and rage and bitterness. And that's why people don't like it when they say they're something new new in mm-hmm. inverted commas.
0: Hopefully that answers your question. If it no, no, it does. It does. <laughs> Pretty much it was a long explanation of there's assholes and there's not assholes. Like, yeah, but I but mean, God, it, I it, like it complicated and gave people existential crises. <laughs> I apologize. No, this is perfect. This is perfect. Um, So, obviously, you love poetry, and and there's another thing I know you love, and we'll talk about this, and we'll start wrapping up, because this has been a really good, fun interview. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, as you can see, your Guy Fieri hybrid Dungeons and Dragons shirts. Uh, Dungeons, Diners, Dragons, Dive-Ins, and Dives, if you're not watching this and just listening to it. (laughs) Now, I, I think we all love Guy Fieri, but with your love of Dungeons and Dragons, I know of the game, and... I've heard it for years and years, but I've never played it. I don't even know really what's... I know it's like a board game, but I feel like it's a whole, like, dynamic of stories and, like, getting too involved. Like, Risk is a long game for me. I can only imagine how long Dungeons & Dragons is. Like, can you give... Give me... Like, I don't even care if people know about it. I need a history lesson of what Dungeons & Dragons is.
1: Well, the longest Dungeons & Dragons game I've ever, ever played was three years
0: what
1: the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> d d is a system, a rule system, to create stories. So it gives you the rules. It gives you how to create people to put in the world. It gives you the monsters and the plot hooks and the items and the stuff you need to build whole worlds And put your friends through it in campaigns and adventures. And uh, you get to become a badass hero killing monsters and saving people, essentially. And, yeah, it can go for years. A A good campaign will go for years. And it's something you can get really invested into and, like, pour a lot of your life into it, which I think is really
0: great. Like, can you just make up a bunch of, like, stuff? Like, I love playing – like, me and my buddies play – I think it's called Werewolves. Werewolves, yes. Yeah, we like playing games like that. Those games are quick for me. My ADHD isn't that that great. Where, like, we pretend we're, like, southern uh, Louisiana, like – church people, like, like, um, lawyers are like, I see, sir, I see, sir, this is you, a werewolf right here. Like, I feel like you, I feel like you probably do that with Dungeons and Dragons. Like, people get into it, it looks like. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, each character you make is an individual
1: person, and then the dungeon master, who's the one that runs the game and tells the story, has to make all the other characters for the world. You have got to populate an entire world with characters that you've thought of. It's a mammoth job. Yeah, it seems like it. Like even being a player is difficult because you've got to really get into the head of this person that you've invented. Uh, so, for example, I'm currently playing a game. I'm playing <laughs> a game and I'm writing one. So the the one I'm playing in, I am a halfling cleric. So I'm essentially a hobbit from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, and he's a he's a man of God. Uh, a, a specific God. There's a there's oh, don't get me started on yeah panic. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you also invent gods in this game, and my okay. god is uh, the Lady of Luck. She is a trickster god, and this cleric follows her, and he's this ray of sunshine. He's the nicest character I've ever made. He's just, all he does is uh, adventure and help people. He's, he's a mercenary by trade, and uh, was raised from birth to be a cleric and to be an adventurer. So all he knows is uh, combat and healing and he he does a lot of spells. And yeah, he was essentially raised to help people. And I had to write this whole backstory of his parents, where he's from, why he's doing what he's doing, uh, that kind of stuff. A lot of improv, it seems. Oh yeah, it's nothing but improv. Yeah. Well, you can plan. dungeon masters who plan tend not to plan for long because things rarely go the direction you're expecting them to because while the dungeon master is the narrator the players drive the story it's the players decisions in this world that drive what happens and where they go and what they do
0: and it's yeah it's several years of improv yeah do you do you play just on a board game or can you play online uh, we
1: um, we play on uh, it's it, we play online at the moment because of pandemic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we use a website called Roll Twenty, which makes like virtual maps, so you can see like places on the screen. That's um, cool. We just talk. We, we talk. We get on Zoom and we just chat for hours, and it's just yeah, it's a case of role playing. So the dungeon master will describe a scene, and the players t- say what they're doing and they talk and they do stuff. And you just do that for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> it seems like uh, three years is a long yeah. time. It, it's you, you can buy like terrain. You can make like battle maps, like real things. Like there were companies that sell like little terrain pieces. You know, like Warhammer, where they like have massive maps and like you fight armies. Okay, you, you, you could do that if you wanted, but I'm a bigger fan of theater of the mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, Every- obviously.
1: Everything happens in people's heads there's yeah. no I, I don't do maps on the table um, although I might draw like a map for the continent or something but
0: yeah
1: I don't tend to do like encounter maps where it's, which is where you telegraph fights on like the board there is no board uh, you roll dice and you talk and you think about it and it happens in your imagination and that to me is what makes it so special because dungeons & dragons is just essentially it's a rule set it tells you how things work and what you should do and then you make everything happen which is beautiful yeah it's like poetry you're, you're just you're writing an entire world into existence
0: that's what i was gonna say i was like your creative mind was made for this so it, <laughs> yeah it, so you yeah i can tell that your love for poetry and Dungeons and dragons are like neck and neck so i don't know <laughs> but that's that's Awesome. I love that. I, I'm going to have to take a look. I probably won't play it because I, I'm not that creative and I can't sit down for long times. Or I can be, Me and you had to reschedule this interview, so I would be <laughs> awful at that. Um, but Let's wrap up have some more fun with this. Three things that you're grateful for. Do you have three things that you can uh, say that you're grateful for right now or anything. overall? To me, anything. My family
1: for giving me loads of support when I need it because I'm a train wreck. Um, <laughs> my editor for helping me write such a great book.
0: Um, what was it? What's that book's called?
1: Uh, I have a thing of rough edges. Oh, I, I heard about that one. In Beard's web store. Hashtag <laughs> plug. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, I'm thankful for my friend Atlas who, uh, designed the book cover. I'll yep. hold it up quickly. Uh, designed the book cover and has just really been a good friend. And, uh, Yeah, we met at uni and have stayed in contact for about five years. Awesome. Yeah, it's been great. And yeah, very thankful for Atlas because he's awesome. And yeah.
0: Love it. Those are, three. those are three great ones. And then before we started recording, we were talking about a little bit of wrestling. So it's going to be a two part question. So, who would be your top four wrestlers? It can be now, it can be all oh. time. Who, who would be on your, your four? Like, it, no, make like a Survivor Series match. Like, you're the manager and you're bringing out four wrestlers. Who are you taking? <laughs> cool. Okay. Uh,
1: just bring this on me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm bringing the heat. Kazuchika, Kazuchika Okada. Okay. Yeah. From New Japan. The Rainmaker. The Rainmaker. Uh, Jay White from New Japan. Switchblade. Yep. I love him. He's great. Uh, Pack. Yeah. And.
0: He's a little truck. Uh,
1: and the last one. Let's Ooh. say.
0: Finn Balor. That's a good one. That's a good. One. Not Prince Devitt, Finn Balor. Well, the the Prince Devitt version's better. So okay, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Those are hey. That's a good four. That's a good four. I like that a lot. Now, what would you? What would your personal theme song be? I know you're a big punk fan. Like, <laughs> you're coming out. Music hits. Tom Rudd's coming out with his book. Hits you over the head with the book. What music's playing?
1: Um. Fun fact. I uh, used to play a wrestling role playing game. And I was a wrestler, and I had my own theme tune. Oh. Ah. So I've done this. I created a character. <laughs> and why it, am I not surprised? Uh, it's a it's a really niche thing that I found on YouTube, but it was really awesome. It's like this uh, dubstep electro kind of EDM song called "The Antagonist" by Modigs. Okay. And it's just this really intense thing that just sounds like a theme tune. It starts. It starts really like quite uh, soft. And then it really drives into it. Like when they come out on the ramp, that's when the music just takes off.
0: Yeah. Would you and would it be it, a it, heel? It
1: feels like a theme tune. And uh, my character's uh, nickname was the antagonist. So it worked. I like that it. That was his so, gimmick.
0: He so was, he a was the big boss. So you'd be a heel. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Coming, coming in with the book behind the head, knock him out. That's, that's the way oh, to yeah, do it. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. He was a, hardco- a deathmatch wrestler. Okay. So he was he was just killing people on a regular basis. Just straight up killing them. Well, n- not really, but like pretending <laughs> no, I'm killing them, them because you know. <laughs> but yeah, so... chairs, barbed wire, the whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. He was the antagonist. Um. Yeah. That's the song I would use. Perfect. But you should listen to it. It's a really, it's a really like inspiring bit. Of yeah. A-
0: send it to me. I'll definitely. If it has wrestling related stuff, I am a hundred percent in. All right, Tom, let's finish up with this. Where can everyone find you on social media? We, we say where we can buy the book again because never enough of that. And uh, let's hear it. Cool, yeah. So uh, you can buy
1: the book at whiskeyandbeards.co.uk or search I Am A Thing of Rough Edges on Google. Uh, my Facebook page is Anxious Anarchist Poetry. And then my Instagram and Twitter are at StuffPunksDo with an X. So, mm.
0: stuff P U N X do. Perfect. Perfect. Tom, I thank you so much for chatting with me today. Go out and buy I Am a Thing of Rough Edges. Tom, very proud of you. I love you so much and good luck with everything moving forward.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Nailed it. Boom.